Hello, and welcome to episode number 35 of Miller's Gaming Podcast. I'm Ms. Miller, and this is about video games, the usual introduction. So if you want to support the show, like and subscribe, notification bell, boss one on your platform of choice, that kind of thing, you know. And yeah, that's that, our intro is there, because I have a lot to talk about today. So, today, we're going to have, well, first off, updates on the channel, and then a whole bunch of news, and then, well, longer news discussion, including the JRPG discourse thing that's coming up, and then finally, what I've been playing. But first, a little disclaimer, I've got a different setup today, and I'm reading my notes off a tiny sheet of paper, or I have tiny font on a big sheet of paper, you know, to save space, and uh, let use less paper, so if there's any paper sounds, that is why. So I'm going to start, I talked about this on my community tab, I took a little break last week and didn't upload anything because, well, I was a bit burnt out from shit and now it's like, okay, I got my Persona 4 retrospective edited now, it's going up next week, so the week after I upload this, it'll probably be early next week because, well, I still have lots of shit to do and I've got a lot to do and I'll probably end up having to do some self-care this week, so... I'm just going to relax, look off myself, get a lot of essential life admin done and all that things, which is a whole bunch of other things. And I don't want to overstress myself, but I want to get a video done for next week and as well. And just, you know, if I can get something out, I might make next week a double upload week. But for now, you've got the Persona 4 Golden Retrospective to look forward to. And yeah, I really liked working on that. And I'll just rather like, I'll save my commentary on it until after it's out. Please look forward to it. Look forward to more stuff because I do have other stuff planned in the pipeline. It's just I need to focus on other shit instead of uh, editing that stuff as often and as quickly. I will get it done. Just, you know, I got prioritised. I'm going to start with the news. I'm going to start with Cozy Game News because uh, Cozy Grove, you know, that game which a lot of people I'm friends with here actually quite like and have played and it looks really cute. It got announced for a physical release on PS5 and Switch. No PS4 for some reason. Because, you know, fuck the PS4 now, even though it's still very much a relevant console. And basically, Iron 8-Bit are doing it in the US. It's getting an exclusive edition on their shop with pins, as well as a GameStop USA exclusive physical. I say USA because when these companies do limited prints, they usually won't do them in Europe. I remember back in the day when Triangle to 3 got a physical release in GameStop, but they said, oh, we're trying to bring it to Europe, and then they just didn't I'm guessing they just didn't want to in the end but so basically that version of trying with all three games on cart and not a download code which is what was in the the modus games release they that, that was a different physical and that's actually a US import so you can't actually get hold of that trying release easily and um yeah I was a bit pissed off at that but you know they're offering this via Iron 8 bit which is fine and the Iron 8 bit version has pins so you can basically Buy one with game with the game for like $35 and then you add an extra $10 per pin. Or you can jump from 5 pins to 25 pins and get the whole set for $150, which is fucking ridiculous. Maybe if they're going to do that, put it in a fancy box as well. But it's good this is a thing. Um, don't expect this to get a European release because it's, it's in, in the US, it's limited to GameStop. It's probably not going to. Maybe in the future, someone like Serenity Forge or a different company might bring it over to Europe. But, you know, well, not Serenity Forge, because they don't do Europe, but they do have physicals over here. They do work with companies to get them out over here, so to get their releases here by different companies. So an arrangement like that might happen, but don't get your hopes up. I'd, I would suggest if you want it to import it. I'm, like, I'm thinking of certain people. If you're listening to this and you like that game, play it and via an import. And for me, I'll be, well, I'll be importing it, hopefully. I'll try to. And um, finally check it out. I know a lot of people I play really like it. And it looks cute too. And there should be a PS4 physical too. Because, well, it's on PS4. Next bit of news is on Trinity Trigger. This is an action RPG I've mentioned on here before. It got a Western release date reveal for 25th April in North America. And 16th of May in Europe for PS5, PS4 and Switch. And then there'll be a simultaneous PC release as well on the same days in Europe. So why there's a massive delay, I don't get. As far as I could tell, Europe isn't actually getting the 
the day one edition North America is getting, so you're going to get people importing that, which be sure if they want to and want to play the game. Um, the game looks very good. Uh, like the demo, I played it, I talked about it. It's pretty promising. I think it might be a solid hidden gem in its Furayu. Their games can be very hit or miss. There's some of their games that are fucking great in terms of a general consensus, and then there's just pieces of crap, like the original Vita version of Caligula, which, yeah, with the frame rate dips, and then that got remade, and, oh, that got announced to PS5 as well, because, fucking why? Like, there's actually nothing new in that, though, it's just, oh, we're just gonna bring it to PS5, and you're gonna have to pay for it again with no free upgrade. Like, why? In terms of other things, you know, Cry Machina, which got announced by Ferraro as well this week, that's been dated for 6th of July in Japan for PS5, PS4 and Switch, and has been confirmed for a worldwide release this autumn alongside a PC version, which is really cool. It's not 100% clear exactly what it is, but it looks like it's related to Crystar in some way, which is another game that came out. Um, Crystar got a Switch port last year, and given that that port was quite late, I expected there to be some kind of sequel or something relating to it in the works, and that's what's happened. This particular one is about an action RPG with mechanical girls surviving in a post-apocalyptic world. And um, from what I've heard from people who've played Crystar, that it's a potential hidden gem, and this is one I might check out. I still need to check out Crystar, but, you know, it's just not a priority. It's just... I thought I heard about it. It's a, it's a good game, but it's flawed. But it tends to be furrier in general, so I'll give it a try at some point, eventually. And next one is more bigger news from Nysa. Uh, the Legend of Heroes Kuro Kazeki got a surprise PC port release by NIS America as the publisher in Japanese with new features by PH3. So PH3 did the other Nysa ports. They basically helped to fix Ease 8 and then took it from there with everything else. And it has a, like, a high frame rate, enhanced autosave, Steam Deck optimization, and a bunch of other things. And then in Twitter tweets and PH3 themselves, who was the developer, I think known as Durante, so this is PH3, I'm guessing it's a company. They're like, oh yeah, there's going to be English text in an update. So uh, if you're looking for an, a localization confirmation for Kuro Kazeki and you weren't aware of Zero Fields DMCA, which basically implied this was happening, then here's your confirmation. So that's pretty good. It's coming. I suspect it will be 2024, but having like three other Falcon games coming out this year. Trails to Azure is coming out probably, I think, the week or the week after the podcast episode goes up. So it's coming out very soon. And it's really good that that's coming out. And then they'll go for Reverie, which is the after story for... Uh, Crossbell and the Crowd Steel Arc. And then finally, they'll just basically move on to Neuta. I'm happy it's been confirmed. Uh, interestingly, there have already been English fan patches being added to that version. So, basically, the reason why there were drama in the past was because a team called Zerofield did a translation unofficially. And then what somebody did on 4chan, which is that fucking awful cesspit of a forum, they made a mod to get it working on Clouded Leopard's port, which is a different port by a different company, which is also on Steam, and has been on Steam for some time. They're completely different builds, because for some reason it doesn't seem like Clouded Leopard are willing to let other companies publish their ports. But it seems to be that way. They're also responsible for the Cold Steel 1 and 2 Switch ports, which haven't been released officially in the West. So it's kind of a weird situation. And because that, that patch was out there, nicer DMCA'd the Zerofield sheet because, well, they obviously had the rights to it, but also because you can't DMCA random anons on 4chan, but you can DMCA the sheet they were using, which is why that happened. And now people have already got that, that patch working, and it's also fully translated. Now, the NPC dialogue's been done as well, which is just wow. The fact that people worked on that already, it's just kind of interesting and just a lot to kind of there's just a lot to, to factor in and just wow i think it goes to show that nicer took too long to release here and falcon as well because no doubt falcon like not letting companies work on their games till they were done was a factor as well but you know that's going to be for another day because that's a whole other thing anyway 
Maricot 8 Deluxe news. So, if you don't know already, Wave 4 news, Shadow Drops, so they had a teaser in the Direct, and then it was like, oh, we're just going to drop this trailer with the date, the date in particular is for the 9th of March, which is well, next week, and then they're going to like, oh, here's the Ocean's Island course, and further, like we already announced, but here's all the rest of the tracks, so I'm going to go through them all in order of where they're appearing in the cups. Fruit Cup, Tour Amsterdam Drift, GBA Riverside Park, Wii's DK Snowboard Cross, Yoshi's Island, Boomerang Cup, Tour Bangkok Rush, DS Mario Circuit, GCN Waluigi Stadium, Tour Singapore Speedway. So, initial thoughts on it. I don't want to take too many thoughts because it's just a trailer, but not actually like in, like, I can't play the tracks myself yet, but they're obviously done, so you know. I'm looking forward to playing them, but my initial thoughts. Yoshi's Island looks fantastic, a potential classic. City courses, glad to see more, especially from non-Western cities. So I've got Bangkok Rush and Singapore Speedway. There's the Southeast Asian rep there. And then um, DK Snowboard Cross, returning, fuck yes. Waluigi Stadium, also fuck yes. Waluigi Stadium looks stunning. Uh, Riverside Park looks also stunning. It looks like another one of those GBA, really like heavily improved remakes. Set up in a non-Western city. With like a Bangkok Rush. And it's like one of the best tracks if it's anything like a previous GBA revamp, which looks really cool. And then and the last one being Mario Circuit, that was like one of the most interesting surprises because a lot of people were expecting something else like Airship Fortress, maybe even Bowser's Castle, like other courses that were not like, like, I don't think people expected Mario Circuit, but the fact they're bringing it back is really cool and the fact it looks new and improved, so... Fingers crossed that it's further improved. In many ways, it's more than just what's shown in the trailer. Because, like, well, the forest is there. The wiggler's there. The, the, it just looks so good. I really am looking forward to it, actually. And, yeah, the quality of the DLC is increasing with each wave. So far, from what it looks like. I want to hold off my impressions fully on that until I play it for myself. Which I'll be discussing next episode. So, look forward to that. And speaking of more Mario news, Nintendo also revealed there will be the Direct next week for the Mario movie, which is on the 9th, so like two days after this goes up. Uh, take place at 2pm PT, 5pm ET, 10pm GMT, and it will reveal the final trailer for the movie, which is uh, going to be really cool. Also revealed the movie got moved forward by two days in the US and 60 other markets. In the UK, it's still currently dated for the 7th of April, but that might change. Uh, I can't wait. I'm going to watch it, and I'm hopefully going to love it like the PS2, and uh, hopefully get a film screening as close as possible to its release, so I can talk about it, because I can't wait for the Marion movie. Uh, they've also said there won't be any game software news, because people need that disclaimer, because otherwise they'll just start sending Smash Bros-style obnoxious pie-in-the-sky requests, so you know. Gotta have the disclaimer to temper people's expectations. Kind of like what Atlas should have done for the Persona 25th anniversary. But, you know, that's a whole different thing. Now on to some Western AAA stuff. Or, I say Western AAA. It will just be Square Enix. Because, well, Square Enix, depending on who you ask, are AAA. Or at least they were until they sold their stuff to Embracer for funding NFTs. Speaking of NFTs... The Square Enix president, who was known for pushing all the NFTs, especially in his letters for New Year's the past couple of years, is uh, going to be replaced by uh, Takashi Kiryu. So Yosuke Matsuda is, well, supposed to be gone in June when the change is officially finalised, pending approval of the board. And Kiryu is known for previous senior roles in like Square Enix Asia and China, so, you know, there's that. Um, yeah. SE statement, so I'm going to read this because, um, well, it's a statement and I have to give balance as part of hosting a podcast, so um, under the change of business entertainment surrounding the entertainment industry, the proposed change is intended to reshape the management team with the goal of adapting ever-evolving technological innovations and maximising on the creativity of Square Enix Holding Co. Limited group in order to deliver even greater entertainment to its customers 
around the world. In other words, Matsuda's become a PR liability and they need to get fucking rid of him. Especially with those letters and the NFT shit and then the fact that Western sales are still continuing to go down the shitter. Because it's just all that stuff. And then there's Forspoken, which is, well, that also got revealed to apparently really underperformed. And now Square Enix is like, yeah, we're going to fold Luminous Productions into Square Enix and basically get rid of the brand. So they're like, oh, we're going to still make DLC and updates for Forspoken until May the 1st when the team's folded. So nothing of value was lost really. The game was made, apparently some good ideas, but not well executed. So bye. As long as the staff don't seem to be losing their jobs though, which is good, so... There's that small positive from that, and you know. Now onto the JRPG section. So, this was an offhand comment made in an interview which you're probably aware of. This comment was made by Naoki Yoshida, who's like directing FF16, I believe, or was involved in that, in a preview with an Australian YouTuber skill up where he made an offhand comment, and that was that overshadowed everything to do with the game. And basically, he said, interpreting for Yoshida, the translation lead, he said that the team don't develop games where they have to be JRPGs, just RPGs. And then he goes on to say that the term itself is a distinction they feel has been used by Western media than anyone in Japan. So Western media. And even worse, and then the term is basically that thing due to associations with their term in the past especially when it comes to racism it's like the suggestion was like the term JRPG was used to silo off Japanese RPGs and other RPGs from the west in a pejorative way so negatively and they don't set out to create a game that fits the narrow definition of what's considered a JRPG, they want to make broader RPGs in line with the rest of the genre so basically a lot more mainstream RPGs so in many ways, kind of closer to more Western-made RPGs, if that makes sense, because that's probably what I mean by broader sense. So things like, well, well, The Witcher, EA, and Bioware games. There's something more Western-oriented RPGs. Oh, all the Bethesda stuff as well, like Skyrim. So that's an example too. And Skill Up notes that Yoshida quits on Legend nowadays. A term is far more positive, but he also feels that there are still a lot of developers in Japan that remember feeling it was overly restricting and has bad feelings. So a lot of that implication was what I've seen is racism. So I don't remember what happened at the time. I've, I don't think I was really like, because this is in like late 2000 and late 2000s to the early 2010s. And I wasn't really aware of all this discourse then. So, but it was based, what I see was implications where things like, oh, JRPGs are dead. That was a common belief as well around that time. And, some devs will be using a racist context, which I'm inclined to believe is true. But I think one thing that hasn't been touched on where I've seen people talk about it is around that time period, so late 2000s to the early 2010s, and even into the mid-2010s, there were certain like kinds of problematic RPGs and similar Japanese games that were being localised in the West for the first time, which I think is where some of the, the hate and criticism came from so basically you know how we've got games like neptunia is the most egregious example and semarin kagura as well the fan service etchy stuff they started coming over as well as similarly low budget stuff in that kind of aesthetic like a lot of compile art stuff especially on the ps3 so and a lot of them are considered to be shit so i think when people will go like all jrpgs are dead and all jrpgs are bad that's probably the kind of thing they were referring to. But also, I I wouldn't be surprised, and I probably do think that some people, when they were using this stuff, used them as an excuse to be racist, which is fucking vile. And I think it's kind of dismissive for people to go, oh, we can still use the term. It's not racist. Because, well, if Japanese people are telling you they've used it in a racist context in the past, then, yes, it's... It has racist connotations. That's basically the thing. Like, even if there are other reasons, like the one I pointed out about some of the games being shit, there's no doubt it's the fact that even if it's because of 
Some people used it because of other reasons, like the whole criticising certain shitty niche Japanese games which were only localised for the first time, rather than from the beginning, because they've always existed. They've only just started coming west, but that's that's a reason why some people use it, but it doesn't change the fact that for many devs, they still associate it with racism, and that's important. So it's really dismissive to kind of go, oh, you don't, don't, let's ignore that and still call them JRPGs. It's just kind of like, it's more of a term used in the West, I think. Like, visual novel, for example, is a term that's associated in the West with, with uh, that genre, but in Japan, it's more like, well, Aquaplus's Leaf brand invented the term first in their visual novel series. But otherwise, it's still called like adventure games and stuff like that in Japan or ADV. So, nothing to do with. Well, nothing to do with a Western term. I think it's similar, although I don't think it has the racist connotations. It's it's still shit either way. Like, I think there'll always be kind of a portion of people that will still use the term and still like. Well, I'll still use the term and act as if there aren't any issues because for so many people, especially. If they've gotten involved in gaming more in the last like five to ten years, they won't know any of this happened because they didn't live through it. They only really have positive connotations associated with it, not negative ones. And I think that's like it's good that devs acknowledged it, but I think it's good kind of good to be like mindful of that. Like Japanese developed RPGs and that kind of thing. But you know, I think when I, I think when I think of JRPGs, I don't think of anything bad because I know that they're kind of like the kind of niche shit that people would criticise as being bad RPGs is not representative of the genre as a whole. In fact, even games like Final Fantasy of the matter of a star because that started as turn-based and has now moved to basically action RPG star. Like, that's all RPG. They're developed by Japanese people, but they're still RPGs. And they're still classics. And I think of certain tropes as well, so things like an amusic protagonist... Grinding, fishing mini games, fighting a god, which is often the final boss, and usually, but not always, a cartoon art style. But yeah, um, it's either way, it's clear that Naoki, Yoshida, and various other developers, probably inside and out of Square Enix, are hurt by their terms, so it's something that needs to be bared in mind when you talk about it. So that's kind of my piece. But yeah, if a Japanese developer says it's it's it hurts because it's used to be racist, don't dismiss that. Now onto visual novels, and there's still some stuff here to talk about too. Uh, first off, Kenka Banchiro Tome has been confirmed to be coming back for a Chinese Switch release by Justan. So Justan, who are a large Taiwanese company, they developed Dusk Diver, Little Witch and the Better, those kind of things. They also do a lot of Chinese localizations too, and releasing Otome games is something they've been doing a lot. Of lately, as well as Game Source, which is another company, but I think they do distribute Just Dance games as well. But that's not something I'm 100 percent sure about. They're going to be bringing and porting the free Kenkabatro Tome games in traditional Chinese in Southeast Asia, starting in 2024. I've announced this quite early. I'm not sure why they've done that, but all three games: Kenkabatro Tome, the Fan Disc, so My Honey of Absolute Perfection, and Second Rumble, which was the most recent game. They were all Vita titles originally, but now they're on the they're on the Switch, like they're doing the ports. And Spider Chance were like, oh we're considering doing a Japanese release. But it's more like you probably are going to do a Japanese release. You're just saying you're considering it just so people don't spam your social media, which is reasonable to do. But why is this significant? Well if you know anything about visual novel localization history and Otome games, one thing that will come up is about Spike Chunsoft and their original localization poll that they did when they first started out as a company. And they were like, oh, here's four games. Whichever one gets the most votes will get localized. And Kenkabanacho Otome won the poll. In, like, they never brought it over. There were three other games on there too. There was... The Shire and the Wanderer, which did come back via the Tower of Dice, Tower of Fortune, Dice of Fate port, which did come out. Um, I think the other one was, um, what was it called? Oh, God. It was uh, Way of the Samurai, I think. Yeah, that was another one. That got, we, we got Katana Kami. And then there was Banshee's Last Cry, which already was out in English via an iOS release. That was quite old. It had some localization changes as well, which people weren't a fan of. 
but did get a remake on the Vita and later PC, which that didn't come west, but there is a full fan translation for it. It's out there. I've played it already. PC port has issues, but otherwise it's a very solid release, which, yeah, I mean, someone said, oh, I didn't come over, but it kind of did, because that game already had an English release, just not on PC, so, and you can now play it in English on PC. But whereas Kankabash Terme, well, it won the poll, but we never got a straight answer from Spike Chunsoft about what happened. They, they were challenged at the cons, like we do events at Anime Expo, and they've had people challenge them on it. And the PR at a time, I believe actually was uh, Ariane Vinsler or someone like that, one of the staff that works for these companies, like, don't shoot the messenger, because she was like, I can't answer it, I'm sorry, which is standard PR stuff, so don't shoot the messenger. But they, Spike Chunsoft clearly didn't want to talk about it. And this is what I think happened. It's going to be a bit of a tangent, but I'm going to talk about it because I've never really talked about it at all here on, well, anything. But basically what I think happened was that Spike Chunsoft did it as a part of the marketing plan for 428 should be a scramble, which was what was announced and what got second place in the poll. And Kenke Matro Terme got first place largely because the Otome fan base online is very vocal. I know, I'm part of it, I talk about Otome games, but especially when I play them, so I know firsthand how it is. But outside of that very diehard fan base, which even back in the days of the Vita, when it was still growing over here on consoles, it was still very, very vocal. It's it like, from a business perspective, they're probably like, hmm, okay, we know some of you want it, but will you enough of you want to want buy it to make a profit? Hmm, we're not sure. We're probably not going to release it. And then, alongside the logic, they said in interviews about Kega Bancho Badass Rumble, which is a PSP beat em up from the main series. That is quite an old game. They were like, oh, that didn't do well when it came out over here, so we decided not to release any more games in that series. Which, I mean, I respect their decision to pass on localizing other Kega Bancho mainline games, but. You're judging apples and oranges because an Otome game is quite a different thing from the beat-em-up series. So, that's why that didn't come over. That, it, that's kind of what I could put together, and they basically messed up when they had this poll done, and the result came in like, oh shit, this hasn't gone the way we expected. And they knew they, they messed up, they knew they messed up, but they wouldn't admit it, or at least be honest about what happened. So, it kind of was awkward about it and people are largely given up on it but now these well now these Chinese ports exist the question is going to come up again and bear in mind that the Otome market has grown in the west quite a lot since the Kenkabacho Otome games well the first one came out in 2016 in Japan and since then it had the Otome market's grown obviously the switch has happened We've gotten ports from the likes of D3 Publisher on there. Uh, Voltage as well. They've produced loads of their ports on Switch. They even made a Switch exclusive Otome called Even If Tempest. That came out last year. And you've got other things. You've got, well, Hune X. This month they've released their first localized game from their backlog, which is Benny Banner, which I've not picked up yet. I don't know when I will, but that's a thing. And you've got Prototype, which... They had two ports, like they really they were quite old switch ports, but they've now been recently given English updates. And apparently, like I can't source this, so this wasn't actually in my script. But in B side log, apparently, they were like I saw this on Twitter because someone talked about it and had a picture of the log and like you know read the article because you can get physical copies in a magazine if you can read Japanese. And they were like, oh. We ha we released Butterfly's Poison on Switch like a few months ago, and we've been very pleased with the sales, so we're looking to do more Otome. And that was after Taisho X Alice as well, which apparently did pretty well too. And bear in mind that the translations of both of those were basically done already. Taiyali is quite well known, but Butterfly's Poison, what's not as well known about that is technically that did release in the West on phones for one month. So something happened, and for some reason that 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 version was taken down after a month, and technically it wasn't localized. But most people don't know about that original release, so it's basically a new localization. And I remember even looking at eShop once and just seeing that, oh wow, it's actually like the second or third most popular title, which is like 
that's quite a lot for a game, and apparently it's really good as well. So, for future front-wing ports, you got things like that to do. Like, I think Yoshiwara Higginbarner will be next. I think that will be the game they choose, actually. Out of their existing titles that they've got on Switch as well. Maybe even the Eden and Roses and Fantasy one, which is another one which none of you will know what that is. But, you know, I can speculate. But then, then there's Broccoli as well with Jack Gian, which people know about. And possibly other things too might come over. And so I think at the very least, it's quite a chance if they're going to sit down and go, okay, the market's growing. Maybe we can get these released over here. And seeing as just Dano doing the ports, we don't have to worry about the port. So I'm hoping they would do that. But if nothing else, the fact these ports exist mean if you're an unlocalized player for Japanese vision novels, you can get the Japanese version because the Vita physicals are really expensive now for all three games so it's ridiculous so you can't easily get the Vita physicals anymore so if you want to play them your only real option is to well hope these Japanese releases happen and they get a physical release the very least the Just Dance ones will probably get a nice LA, you know because the Asian players for Otomis are actually respected and not treated like jokes yep I'm still salty about Trade Maniacs and all the other stuff Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention the Rui Party have talked publicly about localising their stuff as well as Koei Tecmo as a possibility, so something about that might come in the future. They did release that Token Renbu Musou game like last May in the West, which, um, yeah, that's not true Ruby Party. That was basically a Warriors game using a Josemo KIP, which, yeah. I've realised I've just been going for almost like 10 minutes about this one news story. And half it wasn't even relevant, so, you know. Uh, the wonders of Miller's Game Room. Next one. Manga Gamer and Novect released in 7th Lair on the Switch eShop for, like, $7.99. So, yeah, this is the port of 7th Lair, which is a, a Novectical game, which got a remaster to improve visuals and stuff. It's basically... Uh, a side story fan disc kind of like a standalone story with fan disc elements and that kind of thing with characters from Farta Morgana basically in a dev studio and it's kind of like I've not played it but it's basically just something like kind of silly and lighthearted, I guess I'm not but you know the real news here isn't the fact that it's well isn't the fact that this game's on Switch even though it's cool it's on Switch it's the fact that Manga Gamer, a company known for adult titles in the West, and one of the oldest officially localised English publishers to start bringing the titles out over here, are now porting games to Switch. That's the news here. And I could kind of go on about Front Wing and that. Not Front Wing. Oh, God, no, not them. Um, about Manga Gamer and just talk about that because Manga Gamer have got quite a large backlog as well and the fact that they're now bringing stuff over, like, they're bringing over this, they're going to bring over more, we're saying our first title, so they're probably going to have more in the pipeline, and it has a lot of potential, because they're kind of known as a PC-exclusive publisher, they've got a lot of titles that other companies have, like, let them, like, localise, they were founded by a bunch of different labels, two of them are now inactive, but some of their games are quite iconic, so if you've heard of, like, Gogo Nippon, or Eden... Or the Semth expansion stuff they've published over here, that's Manga Gamer, so there's a lot of potential there. Although one tangent I will say is I think one thing they will consider releasing is the Semth expansion titles, so like Higurashi and Umi Neko. But I do want to say that with those games, uh, I've played half of Higurashi, so the question arcs. And one thing I will say is unless Manga Gamer are going to at the very least license the console assets for Higurashi and Umineko, so you get the fancy assets and the music, they shouldn't bother, in all honesty, with those particular games, because not only can you already play the PC versions with, this, with the console mods via 07th mod, which is what people use on the Steam boards, but you can also get Switch fan patches, and apparently Umineko Gold on Switch is actually the superior version of the game, even more than PC, so... I haven't played Umineko, so that's just a disclaimer there, but, you know, a lot of potential there. And also the Yuri and BL as well, and also the, well, Biotome, but, you know, 
But yeah, rest assured that selection is quite limited, so they won't be able to bring things like Rants onto the Switch. Because, yep, yeah, they released another Rants game this month, and if you know what Rants is, I know, mate, it's fucking awful that that exists, but, you know, fucking Hiroki Publishers, fucking hell. Anyway, now moving on from that, I'm going to kind of need to skip through some of this stuff because I've been at this for ten minutes now. Uh, Go Go Nippon, no, fucking skip my notes. Mages confirming they're trying to remake the Infinity series like a long interview. They basically named specifically Never 7 and Ever 17. These are quite old games. They're mostly known for being among Kataru Uchikoshi's early works. And when Uchikoshi found out, was when we also found out. So it was like, oh, he's not involved and he won't receive royalties, but hope he's a success. And from what's been said so far, they're trying to make it a reality and they're hoping that they can incorporate the scenario visions from the Xbox 360 remake, which is Japan only, but not the 3D models from that remake. So Ever 17 did get a PC release. It was most well known by being Hiromeki International's most like famous release, which is a whole different history of its own. I suggest really looking into that because that's a whole different thing. And Ever 7's fan translated. And there's also Remember 11, which isn't named, but you know, that's cool. It's good these are getting official like remakes and they will likely get localized as well. But one thing I will say is given how majors have treated localizations in the West, unless they get that fixed, an official release might be a potential concern. So I'm hoping that after Chaos Head Noah and that localization survey and the fact that so many people were playing Committee of Zero patched versions instead of their official release will hopefully be enough to kind of like, oh shit, we've got to do this properly. But you know. Also mentioned a new Quartz Party game is planned for the summer. Multiple languages and platforms and it's going to be more about horror than RPGs. Just putting that there because I know some people will probably get upset if I don't mention it, but you know. I'm not playing Quartz Party. Still hoping the 2021 remake gets a physical because otherwise I'm like, eh. Finally, for the rest of this section, uh, I'm going to touch on this briefly because I made a status update on my community tab, which no, no one likes. I'm guessing people weren't interested, but I am. And that's White Album 2. Mini After Story now has its final like 1.0 patch. It's got everything translated now for all the After Stories, the digital novels, the audio dramas brought to life using assets from the game. And they also added in the ending credits for To My Sworn Enemy, which uses... Well, it was previously only in the PS3 version, so I'm guessing it was on the Vita as well, but, you know, it's the Vita, who cares? So, you know, the fact that's in there, it's even better than the what I played in 0.8, so that's going to be really cool. I'm guessing I'll have to, to get this updated and play this soon. I don't feel compelled to do it right now, to be honest, because I've already played the whole damn thing. And played it all last year, and then dabbled into the after stories a few months ago when this patch first came out. They were great, I loved it. Um, yeah, fucking fantastic. So, I don't care for my broken record, it's a masterpiece. And I will make a full video on White Hammer 2 someday. I have already made a video on my channel, it's one of the first I did using my face, but I'm redoing it. Hopefully in the style of the upcoming Persona 4 Golden Retrospective, which, uh, yes, please tune into that. Now finally on to the last section of this episode. What have I been playing? So yeah, going to touch on East 9 again because I started that last week and I have finished it. Uh, overall, I did really enjoy it. References to previous games made this experience so much better. You don't need to play the previous games to jump into East 9, but I recommend playing at least some of them because there are a few things that if you haven't played them, you will miss the subtleties of, which uh, I think makes it so much better. So, you know, plus East 9... Not the best game in the series, personally. It's a great game. Like, there are better games, like East 8 and East Salsetta, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, I do want to get the soundtrack as well at some point, because the soundtrack now I've listed to all is just great. And they've still got a widespread release physical in Japan. It's just like, it's East. I love East, so you know. One thing I kind of want to briefly mention, but not touch on, because it goes straight into spoiler territory. Uh, one of the characters in the game, which I'm not going to name them, but you will run across them, is a wheelchair user. And there's certain aspects of that character's storyline, especially in the back end of the game, where it can fall into some problematic territory, into potential relation to their disability, and like, it kind of touches onto a potential cure narrative, 
But after the ending of the game, it's the only time we even get a vague hint of a cure narrative. But even then, it's like, oh, I'm happy with my with my body. It's my body. I want to look on the best as I can. And then it just kind of like... And in the game, it's like, oh, we found out it might be a potential cure to go out and maybe be to walk. And then it's only like at the end of the game where you get one CG in the credits where, oh, this person is walking. So maybe they found something to at least, like, reduce the effects of a condition or something. It's quite ambiguous. But compared to the likes of, say, well... Sacra Wars, where, well, one of the characters literally started in the wheelchair, but, it, oh, now my feelings have improved. I don't need the wheelchair anymore. That shit does not happen, or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see what an actual wheelchair user has to say on that. If anyone has, I'd love to get a video. I'd love to see what they think, if that exists. If that does exist, let me know. I'd love to know. Because I think it'd be interesting to see how that was. But for me, like... As someone who knows about the issues but doesn't isn't personally affected by it, I wasn't as uncomfortable as I was when I like saw sac the depiction in Sacra Wars, so that's an improvement. But yeah, that's that's no reason why I don't recommend it as much compared to East Eight, but you know. Could be better, but could be a lot worse, basically. That's my initial impressions without the subtle nuances. But you know, but only a word would understand. And now the next one I played that I'm gonna to touch on is a short hike so this is a cute indie game if you've been to cozy games you will probably know what it says this is a lovely little game very open-ended where you play as a penguin who goes to an island and wants to climb to the top of the mountain in the center of the island and it's really cute you have this like this lovely island based world with this lovely polygon graphic art style which you can like change the style so it be more pixelized or not and very simple dialogue, very cute and relaxing. Uh, you can change between other languages, so English, French, German, and Japanese. So I did some Japanese practice of it as well, which was interesting, even though I still don't really know enough to fully navigate games, but okay. It's really nice, and then you can go around the island, explore, go fishing, get a boat, and ride around the edge of the island, a boat, or like get more, what's it called, golden-like wings or something. I can't remember what they're called, but you can use them, and then you can, like, fly longer, or climb longer, and you need to get them to, like, start climbing to the top of the island and hit the peak, which is... I think that is really cool, and just, like, having this together, and just, like, this island where you can just go and meet these cute characters, go to the top of the islands, and help other people, and just generally, you know, have a good time in a few hours. I can see why a lot of people like the game. And yeah, I just think it's cute. I do recommend it, especially on sale. It's quite a cheap game overall. Like, on Steam, when it's not on sale, it's like £5.79, which... Okay, is actually a good price for that. So, you know, I ended up getting the physical copy of it, because it came out, and it's like, yeah. I paid like 35 quid for that, and honestly, I would not recommend paying 35 quid for a physical game that's like two hours long. Unless it was a huge, big-budget release, or one of your favourite games of all time, so... I will probably end up getting rid of it at some point. Not because it's a bad game, but because, like, it's fucking 35 quid for a two-hour game. And it's not even, like... Yeah. <laughs> it's a great game. It is a short game, but it is one of those games that I think, like, is best served as a digital release. Like, some games, like, they're amazing, but if they're really short, they might not be worth the cost of a physical print. You know, so if a PS4 version comes out, that will likely be, like, £5-£10 cheaper. Like, another game I played on, on Steam years ago actually is gotten a PS4 physical, and it's called Karma.Incarnation1, which, that's 20, like, 20 euros, which is a lot cheaper, like, £17, which is probably how much a short hike would be if that got a physical release. And now that, I think, is worth paying for a physical version of a short hike, so... If it gets a PS4 or PS5 physical, I definitely would suggest jumping on that, but definitely not this super rare Switch version, especially because it's now, well, super rare, so I wouldn't, like, pay that, but definitely pick it up. It's a fun game, and it's really, really simple and easy to get into, especially if you're talking to someone or you're, like, want to introduce other people to games. I think it's a good pick for that. And also, the music's lovely, and it's just really heartwarming. 
And now for the last big game I'm going to talk about today, which I've started, which I'll probably end up updating. Because, yeah, in case you've noticed or not seen my earlier podcast videos, and let's be honest, until I got that collab, none of you were watching my podcast videos. Uh, I haven't been playing Higurashi, but I've been playing other stuff instead, because I did question art, because I was like, yeah, I'm taking a break from this, and then just didn't return to it. But I finished a question arc, so that's a lovely natural point to stop at anyway. But I mean, wanted to play similar PC only VNs or VNs that require patches to be good, and you can probably see where I'm going with this. Chaos Head Noah, Committee of Zero English patch. So that came out February, so about a month ago, and then it went on sale on Steam in the Spike Chance of Publisher sale, which was like, well, it went for 50% off, and like, so I got it. And like, yeah, I'll be honest, if a game goes on sale for 50% off, like just not even five months after it came out, that's a sign that it didn't sell very well. Like that, like that's unequivocally what it means in a lot of cases. Like, I get it's an old VN, but it's the first site release in the West. And you'll see publishers charge tons of money for these games when they come out in the West on Steam. So, you know... And also, you can get when the pack went on sale. You could get Chaos Head Noah and Chaos Child, and the DLC crap for like thirteen forty nine in GBP, which is like fourteen pounds for like fifty plus hours of VN reading easily. In fact, maybe even a hundred hours when you've read both games and you're not a super fast reader. Like that's not only good value, but I think also says a lot about how poorly Chaos Head Noah performed. And the patch existing has basically made the game a lot more playable. So as well as things like censorship, restoring that kind of content, which is something that was cut out, which I'm going to touch on, which uh, was restored. And then things like the translation as well. Committee, the consistent translation using terms in other games and just things like that. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with that, which I'm not going to hear. I think a lot of people have already talked about it. And there's already like footage on YouTube of people playing with the Committee of Zero patch. It's even on the Switch as well. You can get the Switch version of the Chaos Head and Child Doll Pack, including the Japanese version too, and play that, which is uh, interesting, which I'm not going to touch on all that stuff because I've played it on PC because it's Steam and it's easier, even though I can hack my Switch. Should I hack my Switch? Let me know. In terms of the game, it's interesting. The story is quite compelling in terms of it's like... It has a really unique blend of horror, including gore, a sense of horror and feeling as well in psychological horror as well because the protagonist is a basically I'll get onto the protagonist in a minute but it's got a unique it has a unique protagonist that you don't normally see in like games and the fact that you use that to kind of like have like horror undertones is really clever actually and it's interesting. You've got elements of sci-fi as well, with things like mind control. That's something else that touches the story. And in the real world, so in the real world, Shibuya in 2007, I think, or 2008, it's, that's when it's set canonically. And the story overall is pretty gripping. Um, I, I've only done most of the common route because it's a long VN, but I know once I've done the common route, it'll then just be the character routes left and a couple of other things, and then that's the game done. So I've I've got a pretty good idea on the core story of the game, so I feel like I can come to a conclusion that's tentative regarding that. And as for the protagonist, like I mentioned, the protagonist is kind of unique. So basically, the protagonist is like kind of a stereotypical erogi and etchy loving weeaboo who becomes a shut in and ends up getting quite paranoid and anxious, and then it kind of leans into themes of mental health but could it's and delusions which could potentially be ableist because of sanism and things like that towards people mental illnesses as well which is kind of a back of the mind thought which is also something i don't have lived experience in in terms of those particular things but that's what i mean it's quite unique because you have the positive and negative delusions and you select them to to proceed the story or trigger things in terms of the ending not mental state they can be positive or they can be negative negative is more of a gore stuff so things like people turning on him and killing him but it's just a delusion it's not real 
but the positive ones, and they are actually pretty vile, and not in a good way, because a lot of them go into creepy territory that can include sexual harassment, predatory behaviour, which um, I did not like that at all. And I think this is one aspect of the game that was censored when it was ported from like the PSP and 360 to other releases. I can see why this was censored, because that's really fucking bad. And that's something that I'm glad was censored. Like, the gore is fine. It's disturbing, but it's gore. It's fine. And it's not too severe. Like, especially compared to, say, a certain chomp scene from Muff Love, which is just fucked up, and that got censored even on the Vita Western release. But yeah, it's just... It's a bit weird. <laughs> but, you know. And when I'm done, it'll probably be like 30 hours when I've finished it and all the ending routes, and they're really long, but, you know. And I want to get 100%, get a nice Steam Platinum on my account and be one of only six or so percent of people who's actually played Chaos Head Noah in English and with a pat. And the final thing is I have actually picked up a I'm gonna call it Mystery Game X or something like that, because a portable RPG is a classic in a certain like series or nostalgia for people which I'm not naming here because I want to make a video on it in the future which I'm going to not say shadow drop but be like oh hey it's coming out I'm not going to talk about it but until it's out and I want to keep it as a surprise so I'm letting you know that if I don't talk about a game much next time that's why I'm playing it for about five or so hours I think and it's just it's not too long I could probably get it done in about between 15 to 20 hours, maybe 25, it's not too long, but you know, I'll get cross that bridge when I get there, so I'm just letting people know that in advance, I'm going to try to get it done next couple of weeks, hopefully, but you know, April Miller's Game Room is going to be interesting, as well as March, let's just say, and I'm going to stop there, uh, apologise in advance, just in case if I was kind of a bit vacant today, because I'm recording this late at night, and I've had a busy weekend and a busy week. So it's like, I want to get this done, get out on Tuesday, talk and ramble. So if anything is like, if it's an 100% my best, I apologise. But also like, thank you for listening. I'm glad you're still here. I'm glad to still be here talking to you and other people. And uh, if you enjoying the episodes of Miller's Game Room here on YouTube, Spotify, and other platforms of choice, so, you know, yeah, I do have the podcast on other platforms as well, I don't think people really know that, because people barely listen to them, but, you know, they're on other platforms too, so, what I said, if you enjoyed the show, like, comment, subscribe, five-star reviews, follow on your platforms of choice, thank you so much, have a lovely day, week, month, wherever you are, bye-bye.